Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Today, I interview Melly O'Brien, known worldwide as Mrs. Mindfulness. She is a magnificent teacher and meditation practitioner from Australia. Her mission is to help us all lead more conscious and connected lives and, as she says, to know ourselves more deeply and to be ourselves more fully. She talks about how meditation can be a barometer to help us be and act more in alignment with who we want to be. She believes that with meditation, instead of waging war with our minds, we can learn to wage peace and that when there's peace in our minds, we're closer to peace in the world. I adored Melly. She is a warm, authentic, and loving person, and I learned so much from this interview. Before we hear from Melly, our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio. Apple's Pick is one of the 10 best apps of the year. If you want more sleep, to feel less anxious, find more focus and clarity, Meditation Studio is here for you. Download us in the App Store or on Google Play. If you have questions or suggestions for our podcast or app, email me at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Untangle. We love having you with us. Now, here's Melly. Melly, I am so happy to have you on Untangle today. Thank you so much for being here all the way from Australia. It's my pleasure. And I think you're the lucky one being in summertime right now. Yes, yes, right at the end of summer. Let's start by sharing a little bit about your background. How did you originally get into meditation? I was definitely a contemplative child. Um, So it's funny when sometimes when I get asked that question, I think formally I got into meditation in my late teens, but when I reflect on my childhood, and I think many people relate to this, I think I spend a lot of time in a, you know, a meditative state, just um, being alone in my backyard, in nature, um, just contemplating the world around me. Um, But then, yeah, formally got into meditation. I I was curious um, about that in my late teens. I did my first meditation course and was dabbling for, for a while around that age before I kind of settled into a, a, a consistent practice. Were you, when you say you were in your backyard and um, sort of being a contemplative child, were you always seeking something or were you trying to find peace in a really hectic or frenetic household? Or is this, do you feel like this is just such a central part to who you are? I think it might be a little bit of all of those things, actually. I think our uh, home life was a little bit chaotic. And uh, I also noticed that my siblings also have quite a contemplative nature as well. We all are people who were spend quite a bit of time alone. And so all three of us kids actually used to, in our own way, go and find our quiet spaces. But I, I would say that at that age, I don't think I was seeking anything at all. I think I was bathing in the world around me, just, just bathing in nature, just really not seeking, but actually just enjoying presence at that age and then but when I was a teenager I did start to seek something 
one of the defining moments in my life was being around about eight years old. And I remember seeing on TV the, I think the Gulf War was happening at the time. And I I remember having this moment that was just like a life-changing light bulb moment where I, I realized that these were the adults. You know, I was a child and I was always looking up to all the adults around me as the ones that had it together, that look after you, that, you know, they're the stable rock-like figures in your life when you're that age. And I suddenly had the realization watching that war that there was, they, many of us were insane completely insane solving our problems by killing each other and taking you know it just it didn't make any sense so I became curious then about the possibility of living a different way when I got older. I mean what an interesting perspective to look at the people who were the adults in a wartime situation and knowing that they're the the crazy ones and how could you be different? I remember at that time you know, my little brother and I, we used to fight a lot. You know, as you do when you're kids, we used to hit each other when the other person had a toy. And we had already figured out by that age that it was better to be peaceful. And I remember going, okay, my little brother and I are not hitting each other anymore and trying to steal each other's things. We're being kinder to each other. So, but these guys have tanks and they're serious. Like they're really hurting each other really, you know, big time. So there must be a better way. Wow. Through the eyes of children. So, so what was your first meditation course and your first experience with meditation? Um, I went with my best friend to, I think it was a six-week course. I think we might have been 16 or 17. And all I know is that I, you know, the memory of it is a bit vague at this time, but I just remember feeling peaceful and feeling like I was one of the people who had a busy, restless mind that couldn't do it. I think everybody feels like that the first time they go to a meditation course. But I just remember it started something. It just was, you know, I tasted something sweet. And so I just kept going to different things like yoga and maybe Buddhist courses and reading books on spirituality. And yeah, it it was the beginning of something. And did you know that you wanted to become a teacher and to have these retreats or was there something else that you wanted to do first or did once you took this course, was it a pretty linear path for you? I remember I did go to a course when I was 19 and it, you know, it was like, you know, what is your deepest kind of gift that you want to give to the world? And I remember writing that I wanted to be a spiritual teacher, but I didn't even really know what that meant at the time or whether I could ever be the kind of person that could possibly want to, you know, actually do that. So there was something there from a really young age, but it wasn't linear. No, I done different career paths and found my way to it in my late twenties. Yeah. What brought you back to it? Because now you've got this big organization and you do a number of different retreats throughout the year. And I think you're sort of taking Australia by storm. (laughs) <laughs> what, what happened that kind of brought you back, let's say, home to where you are now? I think the truth is, is that this became quite an obsession with me. I desperately wanted to know the answers to those questions I had inside of me when I was a, a, a young child. You know, is it possible for human beings? Is it possible for me to live in peace with the world around me, to find a way to be truly happy and fulfilled and live a life of purpose and meaning, not just coast through life in a way, in a feeling disconnected. 
and um, not at peace with my, my fellow men. So I just had this burning, burning desire to find out the answers to these questions. And it became very much like an obsession. You know, when other people were watching TV, I was reading spiritual books. When my friends were going out on the weekends, I was going to more courses and retreats. And I made it into a career so that I could be immersed in this world full time. So it became everything to me. And the reason it became everything to me is because in my own way, I found the answers to my own questions inside my own body and mind and found what I had been looking for. It's the most beautiful gift I've ever been given. And, you know, I just felt filled with passion to share it with other people. And it just, you know, that was it. (laughs) I caught fire. What is happening in meditation that brings you such clarity? Like in your case where you say, you know, you finally really felt this peace in your world and this connection. What is it about meditation that you think brings us to that place where we feel a little a little more clarity about who we are in the world? I think there's maybe two aspects to answering that question. I think on the one hand, what happens in meditation is a, a profound letting go. You know, once you kind of get the hang of it, you you get to, for this oasis-like time when you're present, you know, you let go of all the seeking. Oh, my goodness, we spend so much time seeking and searching to become more, to get more, to do more, to have more, and never really feeling like we're enough or the moment is enough. Oh, my God, what a sweet, sweet thing to let that go and to become fully engaged with the beautiful present moment that's right in front of our eyes it's just the sweetest thing to let go of that seeking most of us have been doing it since we could you know walk you know you start to kind of get this habitual pattern of always trying to get somewhere else rather than being fully where you are so it's just a an amazing relief to do that and we also stop um, trying to push our experience away make anything happen change anything Instead of waging war with the present moment, we wage peace with it. And it's just so sweet to do that, (laughs) to let go. So that's the first part of it. And the second part of it is exactly what you said, you know, um, through your own direct experience, you, you become more fully in touch with who you are at the deepest level and therefore also fully in touch with you know your sense of interconnectedness with the world around you because it's kind of one and the same when you're fully present you're fully connected with yourself in the moment and you're fully connected to life in that moment and that's fulfillment that is really the art of fulfillment right there it's fulfillment isn't about going and rearranging all the circumstances of your life until you get everything just so fulfillment is being fully alive and fully in touch. I love the language that you're using to describe this. It's so beautiful. And you've talked a bit in some of the blogs that you've written about how we spend so much time on autopilot. And it seems like that's what you're reinforcing here. It's sort of letting go of being on autopilot or moving from one experience to the next or pushing the experiences away, but really 
being with that present moment it's such a can be such a beautiful thing and that was transformative for you and led you to want to teach other people to experience this yeah yeah absolutely and you, you know there's this realization that happens there's no such thing as a mundane moment it just isn't when you're fully alive to it each moment is so precious and so full and so rich if we'd only show up for it to see it. Why is it so hard for us to show up in our lives in that moment? We are evolving human beings. We're works in progress and we have a strong tendency to slip into autopilot mode, as you say, and it's, you know, something that we we do have to cultivate. This is the way human life is at the moment. We we do seem to need to have, for most of us, not all of us, but for most people, we really need a way of cultivating our capacity to be fully awake. You know, our habits of, of closure and shutting down and phasing out and clinging are pretty strong. You know, there are reasons that our mind acts that like that, like we slip into autopilot for a reason. It does have a function. You know, it, it's an important function. But the thing is, is if we slip into autopilot mode too much, we spend a lot of our lives in this kind of automaticity, living out in mechanical, habitual ways of, you know, thinking and living that often don't serve us. So, yeah, it's a habit. You know what habits are like. We have to put some effort and some intention uh, behind wanting to live a more mindful life. Otherwise, we just kind of slip into our old ways. Yeah. I mean, that's why the the practice of meditation is so important. And that's, I think, why we use the language that it is a practice, because we have to continue to do it to really see the results of it. Your course is called The Art of Mindful Living, or is that, that's your retreat? Yeah, that's one of my retreats. Yep. So, when you bring people together that are in their sort of habitual ways and many of them are coming from intense jobs or frenetic family lives and they come to your retreat, what kinds of things are you teaching them and what do you mean by the art of mindful living? Well, first of all, the there's two things um, that I teach at the retreats. First of all, I mean, the most important thing is for people to just get a taste and I love teaching immersive retreats because you do get people away from their frenetic lives and they give their, there's a chance for them to settle in over multiple days and to actually get a taste of what it's like to practice quite a bit. And um, you have an ashram environment where they can take the things that we're learning in the room out into a kind of simulation of daily life where they're doing all the things they do at home, eating and walking and, uh, you know, brushing their teeth. And so it's a good chance to get a really deep taste. Um, but the other thing that's really important that I do on that retreat especially is I point out the particular patterns of mind that tend to get us caught up the most because it's one thing to learn mindfulness but I think it's equally as important to very quickly point out, you know, the basic structure and anatomy of your mind. These are the kinds of things that when you go home, these are the certain mind patterns that you you are going to probably want to watch out for. 
um, they're the ones that are going to get you caught up. So I have that kind of dual approach of understanding the anatomy of the mind and also just doing the practice, just just doing it as much as possible. To answer the other part of your question, the way I see the art of mindful living is it's a two-part process. The first part of the art of mindful living is to know yourself deeply. In other words, you you have to be mindful enough. You have to be awake enough to be in touch with yourself. It just It's the beginning of an unfolding and deepening process, but knowing yourself deeply, in other words, being in touch with who you really are, getting a taste of it and also feeling maybe a sense of your what's important to you, what your values are. And the second part of the art of mindful living, so is know yourself deeply is the first part and be yourself fully is the second part. And, you know, this is not about just meditation. This is about, you know, conscious living. So what I see is that when we all act in accordance with our, our own deepest nature, then life feels really good. You know, some people language this like when you when you live by your values, your own values, then life feels really good. Life feels really good when you do that. And that's part of the art of conscious living, acting in accordance with your own deepest nature. And what we call wisdom, wisdom grows the more you listen to and act from your own deepest nature. It becomes like an upward spiral. You become more present, more in touch with yourself, and then you act in accordance with it there becomes this process, this fluid process of listening to yourself and acting from it, listening to yourself and acting from it. And it's like a muscle that gets stronger and stronger. So yeah, that's what the art of mindful living means to me. I love that you're talking about know yourself deeply and be yourself fully and that it's from the sense of listening and then acting from that place. Are there specific tools that you're teaching that align us more with our values or does this come naturally out of the practice of meditation? I think the answer to that question is probably like both are true. There are tools that you can use to elicit your own values um, and that kind of for many people helps them concretize what it means when they are living in accordance with their own true nature. Um, so that can be really helpful. And there's actually a blog, there's a three-part blog series on how to elicit your own values that's on my website. I'd be happy to um, give you that for your, your listeners that will help them go through that process if they want to. But sometimes it's, you know, just this process of, you know, as you become more mindful, what I sometimes say is you become like a barometer, you become so sensitized to when something feels off, like you've just done an action let's say, and it just felt off. Something in you just went, ooh, that didn't feel in alignment with who I really am. But often what we do, you know, in those circumstances, we're not willing to feel the uncomfortable feelings. We want to run away or distract ourselves or compartmentalize it and pretend it's not happening, that we feel yucky from that action. So instead of thinking of if you're out of alignment and it feels bad to you, instead of judging it as right or wrong, you just listen to it and go, okay, my body is like a barometer telling me that I'm right now off my path. I'm out of integrity to my own deepest nature. So, And then you might just take an action to bring it back into alignment. 
you know, it might, it might be an apology. It could be just deciding that you understand now that that was out of accordance and not to take that action again. There's something that you can do that's very helpful, and that is to ask yourself really powerful questions. You know, a powerful question that can help people change their focus or get clarity could be as simple as, you know, what do I really want here? What's my outcome here? What am I really after? We all have moments where we get challenged, where we get triggered, or we have to make big decisions in life and they're hard and the path feels maybe unclear. Or, you know, you're trying to figure out what's really important. A really powerful question to ask yourself in that moment is, what do I really want here? Who do I want to be in this moment? So let's say maybe you get triggered by someone. You know, someone says something to you that's really harsh and you can feel your reactivity coming up. You know, there's a chance that you're going to be overwhelmed by your reactive conditioning rather than a conscious response. And in that moment, you could ask yourself a question like, hang on a second, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling reactive, but what do I really want here? You know, what I, maybe the answer comes to you, you know, what I really want is actually to love and connection with this person. And then your actions can come from that place of your own deepest nature. I love that you, you know, you can ask such a simple question, you know, what am I after? Who do I want to be in this moment? That in that pause, you can respond in a completely different way. It goes back to some of these simple teachings that we learn not to react and to pause and to not be our thoughts. And what you're saying is so many of our thoughts are autopilot and they're just so conditioned and that you have a choice in that moment to respond in a completely different way. And I, I love what you were saying about your body being like a barometer because I think so many of us will feel uncomfortable when we get triggered. We'll feel something's not right when we're not in our alignment, but we may not be comfortable sitting with it, so we kind of move past it or we push it away. And so I love the way that you're kind of offering up an alternative for when you're in that moment for how, how we can be when people come to your retreats or when you're teaching people, are people coming because they want these new skills and tools? Do you find that you have a lot of people that are coming with really specific problems like depression, anxiety, um, you know, things that are really very difficult in their lives? There are a lot of people coming with things that are really difficult in their lives, which is not really surprising these days because, you know, according to the World Health Organization, one in four of us worldwide is suffering from depression or anxiety. So, you know, just by default, you can kind of predict that at least one in four in the room is going to be suffering a lot in, and probably more at a, at a meditation retreat because they're coming for some answers. Um, but there's a lot of people coming as well. You know, there's a beautiful thing happening these days. And, you know, People are so much more interested in conscious living now. We're living in tumultuous times. So there's a lot of people coming who were just like me when I was young, who were just saying, you know, I want to live in a different way. There must be a different way. I want to live with more of a sense of purpose and meaning and a lot of beautiful you know, people coming with a beautiful intention to find their own inner peace as a way of serving the people in their lives and the world around them. So yeah, it's beautiful to watch this unfolding. There's a lot more people these days interested in conscious living. Yeah, and then they go home and it, this person becomes an ambassador because you see that they've changed and you want to change. 
And then you started the world's largest mindfulness summit, uh, which is like hundreds of thousands of people around the world participated in that. And that was you. You started that. Um, what was what was your you know your intention for creating that? And you know how did it go? That was quite a journey, the Mindfulness Summit. It was actually my um, business partner, uh, Matt. He actually originally came up with the idea to do it. We always like to give to charity. So he had this idea that we could raise money for mindfulness-based charities around the world and then share all this amazing free teaching with people, give them a retreat in their living room. Because we thought, you know, there's a lot of people who just don't have access to good teachers or any teachers in their area, you know, people in poor countries, in rural areas, they, you know, they just don't have access. So we really wanted to do that. You know, we, we had a big vision for the Mindfulness Summit, but when a quarter of a million people turned up and we had to upgrade our servers because our servers were crashing, it was beautiful. Oh my gosh, being a part of that journey and helping shepherd, you know, the, the unfolding for a quarter of a million people was just the most precious and beautiful thing and really surprising to us. I mean, we had a big vision, but, <laughs> and it's a, it's a really engaged community as well. You know, we, um, we're still with them. We're still giving them beautiful content and still offering them tools to support their journey to mindful living. And yeah, it's an ongoing thing. And we have some big plans for this year as well. So the journey will be continuing. Are you ready to talk about the new plans? Um, I will say that we have uh, plans for um, launching a, a beautiful online learning platform um, where people can continue that journey, you know, being in touch with the world's best teachers and getting the highest quality mindfulness training on there and um, I'll keep you updated with the rest soon. Awesome. That sounds great. And I think you you guys are the right people to do that. It's it's just amazing. There's so many different teachers and there's so many different styles of meditation. And I find that a lot of the people that I talk to are confused about what kind of meditation to do, how often to practice, whether they need a, a teacher or they can just do it on their own with recording. You know, there are just so many questions. How did you approach that with such a huge base of people? We brought together almost 40 teachers and they, the one thing that they all had in common, because this is very dear to my heart, is that um, there was no sense of dogma. Nobody saying there's one right way for everyone or, um, you know, and most of the teachers were quite secular. They might have had, had influences from around the world and different traditions, but they were quite secular in, in, in terms of what they were offering because we, we had really a broad range of different teachers from different countries and different age groups and all of this kind of thing. But there were definitely consensuses among those teachers about the things that they have seen work in their careers for people. Um, maybe, you know, some of those things were that consistency of practice is much more important than the length of practice. It would be better to do five to 10 minutes of meditation a day and keep consistent with it or five or six days a week rather than doing one big practice a week. There's something better about consistency. You know, you, there's something better about just doing it over and over and over again daily and preferably in the morning because 
if you do it in the morning, not only does it guarantee that it gets done, but I think more importantly, the fragrance of mindfulness tends to carry you through your day. Yeah, that fragrance of mindfulness tends to stay with you. So there was a definite consensus around that. And I think there is a strong consensus around um, just like if you were learning golf or if you were learning French or um, another skill, it is really important in the beginning to be, you know, get some coaching or some support from a qualified teacher. Yeah, I often hear people talk about the same, you know, they have the same concerns. They they feel like they're supposed to be emptying their mind of thoughts or they get really impatient with themselves and become critical or maybe they fall asleep. You know, you hear all of these things and the nice thing about being in a class or a community or being able to talk to other people is that you realize that everybody goes through that. That's just part of the process. So I think that's something else that's really kind of good to learn when you're connecting with other people. Yeah, and there's also, it's, it's all of that is so true. I mean, anybody who's meditated over time will also tell you, um, and you, you and I have probably experienced this quite a bit too, when you meditate in groups, there seems to be a kind of a, quite a powerful shift in the room. There's something about people getting together and practicing in a group that really seems to intensify our ability to be awake. You would think that the energy of all of these other people in the room might be distracting or you might want to like crack your eye open a little bit to see what other people are doing or versus when I'm in my own space and I'm meditating, I'm like, okay, I want to get up and have coffee or, you know, I want to do the next thing. So it is true that being in that, in a room with a lot of people sometimes is, can be much more inspiring in a way what do you think is actually happening there I think there might be a few things happening you know there's probably some really simple practical things like just the fact that you've taken that time completely separate you're not going to get up and make a cup of coffee while everybody's watching (laughs) (laughs) there's some degree of like a stronger intention to to be present but you know I think there's something else happening um I, I can only take a a few guesses at it. I've just noticed it again and again. There's a palpable shift in how present everybody's able to be. I know there's some really interesting brain science coming up about, um, you know, Dan Goleman wrote a book recently, Social Intelligence, about how when people are together in groups, their brains tend to synchronize. And so there could be something happening there where there's, you know, a couple of people in the room that are shifting into presence and then it's it's assisting the rest of the people in the room to shift it could be something like that and there could be other things going on that I don't yet understand but I'm I I, I experience it but I might not understand it yet you also share poems and quotes on your website and in your retreats do you have any favorites that you would love to share with us I do have a favorite that I um I often share when I do public speaking or, um, and I share it at every single retreat. Um, it's actually a, an old Chinese proverb um, that says, if there's light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. And if there's beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. And if there's harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And if there's order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and for sharing 
your wisdom and your amazing background and your story. I'm, I'm so happy we were able to do this today. Yeah, and thank you so much for the invitation. I love the work that you guys are doing. And it's, yeah, it's just a pleasure to be with you and your community. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much to Melly for her beautiful insights and wisdom. The handouts she mentioned can be found at mrsmindfulness.com. If you want more specifics, just email me. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio App in the App Store or on Google Play. We'll see you next week.